Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. So we're in Acts 2, starting in verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Hey guys, my name is Daniel. Um, Yeah, I'm one of the leaders here at Trinity Life. And yeah, this morning when I got to church, Somebody was like, ever since you've been with Yejin, you look a lot better. (laughs) 90% true. 90% true. Um, Today, we're in this series called The Practice of Presence, and I'll be talking about community and fellowship. I'll use these words interchangeably, and so this is the definition that I have for you guys just to sort of walk us through uh, the sermon today. Fellowship and community is the spiritual duty of all believers to constantly devote themselves to each other, to grow in holiness and faithfulness. The spiritual duty of all believers to constantly devote themselves to each other to grow in holiness and faithfulness. This last week, two weeks ago, um, I took Yejin out to watch Lion King. And um, it was was a surprise. We got there. uh, We checked in our ticket. And she's like, Uh, Auditorium 9, we get into Auditorium 9, and it's like almost empty, right? Which was weird because when I ordered these tickets online, it was basically like packed. Like we had to find these random seats in this random area. And so I thought that was kind of weird. And so we got up, we sat down, and previews started playing, and they're all like horror movies. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. There's like 10 people in here and there's horror movies playing. And then finally the movie plays, and it's this movie called uh, The Crawl? Crawl? I I don't know what movie that is. It was weird that I thought it was supposed to be The Lion King. And so we left the theater, and then as we were outside, we we see one of the managers come by, and I stopped her. I said, hey, I think there's something like not right here. I thought we were supposed to be in Auditorium 9. This is supposed to be The Lion King, but it's a horror movie. And she says, okay, let me, let me come and help you out. She brings us to the counter. Like, she was super helpful. Um, she says, oh, you guys aren't at the Eglinton at Young. You didn't get tickets for the Eglinton at Young. You got tickets for the Eglinton in Scarborough. And I was like, oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> and so she's like, oh, don't worry about it. Um, I'm not, we had regular, uh, regular viewing uh, tickets, but she's like, I'll upgrade you to 3D. And there's a movie playing in like 20 minutes, and so I'll get you guys in there. And so she was so gracious and, and so like, super helpful. And for 
a lot of you guys, you come to church expecting to see community, but often experience something different. I mean, your ticket says community, but for some of you, you've experienced loneliness and hurt or betrayal. You're sitting in what you thought was the right seat, but you feel like you aren't growing in your faith. Your relationships at your church seem shallow, and you sort of just come and you go. And just like the manager who came to show us the truth, but in a much bigger way, Apostle Paul in this passage is going to show us what biblical community and fellowship looks like so that you can flourish in your faith, grow in holiness, and live on mission for Jesus with joy and excitement. And you'll feel satisfied that your ticket actually says community and that you're actually experiencing it. So what comes to mind when you think of community and fellowship? Do you think of the church hallway where you guys eat snacks and get to know each other? Do you think of people gathered together to watch the Raptors game win the championships? Do you think of people having a meal together? For you bubble tea freaks out there, do you think it's having bubble tea together? Hey, don't call us <laughs> freaks. Someone's drinking bubble tea back there. They're not even listening. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's just coffee. Essentially what the world thinks and what maybe some of you think community and fellowship is, a group of people gathering together to share a common interest. And there's some truth in that and what people think community is. But it's lacking depth. Because you can experience worldly community, but not really have to love that person or to serve that person. People can gather for a common interest, but they don't have to be devoted to each other. The biblical definition of community is much rich, richer, deeper, and God-centered. God didn't just create community, but he always was and will be in perfect community. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all in community, loving and serving one another. And all other definitions of community, outside of the originator of it, will only lead to something unsatisfying. And it's only when you fill your heart with what God's true and perfect word says about community that you will start to experience and taste community in the way that it's intended. The biblical practical outworking of community is this one another lifestyle. There's over 50 of them in the New Testament. It's loving one another, serving one another, breaking bread with one another, confessing sin to one another, rejoicing with one another, exhorting one another, using our spiritual gifts to build up one another. And what Apostle Paul is trying to show us in Acts is what the biblical view of community and fellowship is. And so as I open up the Word of God today, my prayer, is, my prayer is for you guys by faith that you'd receive what the Lord has for you. And I was reading the book of Nehemiah the other day, and there's this picture there where Ezra's scribe, he reads the word of God from, from, to, the God, to God's people from morning to midday, and people fall on their faces in worship. And so my prayer and hope for you guys is that you guys today would be in awe and you guys would be in worship because we're opening up the word of God. And I feel like sometimes we've lost the reverence and the awe of the word of God. And so, and this is a guaranteed encounter with the power and presence of a living God. And so I pray that that would be your reality today. And so this is our bottom line. Uh, this 
worldly community and fellowship will make good friends, but biblical community and fellowship will make God friends. So verse 42 says, like <laughs> no, not bad, huh? <laughs> that's, that's all the Holy Spirit. That's a good dad joke. <laughs> that's a good dad joke. Oh, man. All right, back to Jesus. Okay. Um, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so Apostle Paul is saying that the Christians at the time were devoted to meeting regularly to hear the word of God. More specifically, these were the teachings of Jesus before uh, in his life and then after his death in his resurrection. You know, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Don't repay an eye for an eye. Forgive 70 times 70. Be the light of the world. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Moreover, they also broke bread and prayed together. And to bring this to our time, think of our Sunday gathering. This is where we gather to hear the word of God. We take communion and we pray together. I mean, it's a gathering of people led by the Spirit, living this one another lifestyle and living on mission for Jesus. The word devoted uh, in this passage, it means to continue to do something with intense effort. For the church, the intense effort is wanting to see each other grow in holiness and faithfulness, and then seeing it lived out for the mission of Jesus. Uh, Some of you guys know this, but there's there's like fruit flies in the communion cup. Everyone's going to be lining up on this side. Um, yeah, a lot of you guys, some of you guys know this. We have a lot of new faces. Um, I, I got recruited into a gang in grade nine. Um, you know, I carried my first nine-millimeter handgun in my backpack. Uh, I used to sell drugs, cars, um, fake money, all that stuff. Anything I could do to make money. Um, and in our immediate crew, we had about... 50 people in our community, and then outside of that, we were affiliated with hundreds, 200s, a bunch more people. And we were bonded together by loyalty, by power, by respect. And we met every day, we drank every day, we partied every day, we planned robberies. And no matter what, we were there for each other. And the sad thing is, when when I look at this word devoted here in the Bible, I don't think of the church. I think of the gangs that I used to be in. The gangs that as a part of were united by pride and honor, but the church is supposed to be united by the blood of Jesus, which is much more worth living for. But yet we struggle to be devoted to each other. You know, when things get difficult or we disagree or someone offends us or we have a different theological view, when we don't forgive, we don't reconcile, but we gossip, we hold on to bitterness, and we resent And the church isn't supposed to be like a family. The church is supposed to be a family of God, bonded by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But often we treat each other with this mentality of consumerism. I mean, the family of God says, you've wronged me, and I forgive. Consumerism says, you've wronged me, well, I'll shop for a new church. And the family of God says, I'm here to serve you. The consumerism says, well, I'm here to be served. And the family of God says, let's be devoted to the mission of Jesus. 
Consumer, consumerism says, well, I'm devoted to the mission of my own happiness. And if you want to be the community that God wants us to be, we have to be devoted to each other, constantly loving each other and serving each other with intense effort despite difficult times. I mean, Jesus died to make us holy and faithful. And anything less than devoting each other and commitment to one another wouldn't honor that. And Jesus didn't give up on you, so why would you give up on somebody else? And Jesus forgave you an infinite debt, so why couldn't you forgive somebody a small debt? When you hold on to bitterness, and when you don't forgive, when you gossip, and you've forgotten the gospel, and so be reminded, today, be reminded of it today, brothers and sisters, and walk in freedom and joy. Uh, verse 42, the, the latter part says this. To the breaking of bread and prayer. Uh, yeah, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And so I'll talk about communion first. Communion was never supposed to be an individual act, even though we come up here sort of one by one. It was always a communal act. Someone have a question? Oh, Becca, I thought you had your hand up. Last week we had someone with a question, so I thought you had a question. Communion in Latin actually means uh, participation of everyone. It means community. And in our Western culture, where it's all about you and your needs, it's created this mentality of individualism. Yes, communion is about forgiveness of your sins. Yes, it's about receiving peace and joy in your life. But it's much more than that. Communion is an act of saying, if we have a disagreement or somebody has sinned against us, Let's reconcile. It's an act of saying we are the family of God, devoted to each other's growth in holiness and faithfulness. It's confessing that we are a community of believers living on mission for Jesus. It's proclaiming that we are going to be committed to serving the church. And no matter what, we will be here for each other, building up, to the, bo- building up the body for the glory of God. Man, what kind of church would that be? Imagine. So Paul says, we are supposed to be a church devoted to each other, meeting regularly for communion, the hearing of God's word, and then he says we are supposed to be a church of prayer. A few, I think it was like two months ago, uh, me and Yejin, I'm using her like in every illustration, (laughs) me and Yejin, we wanted to serve Mike and Missy because it was Mike's, or Missy's birthday, and uh, we just wanted to look after their girls. And so we got to their house a little bit earlier, and uh, we started playing games, and we're having a good time. I'm beating their little girls in these games. And I, I like, literally, like, I was totally fine health-wise. And I went from, like, literally totally fine, laughing, having a good time. Me and Yejin had a little devotion. And then I went from, like, being totally sick, like, cold sweats, uh, migraine, um, sweating. It was just really bad. And so I had to lay in Emerson's bed. Like I was, have you, did you guys wash your sheets after that? I was like sweating. <laughs> you burn, yeah, he says they burn the sheets. And, and Yejin and Regan, I don't, know, I don't know what they were doing. They were downstairs, maybe getting, getting me water or, or they, they, the blow dryer or something like that. They were getting something for me. Um, it's a Korean thing, I guess, a blow dryer. I don't know what was going on, but... Um, this, yeah, this is the point. 
Emerson, so I'm laying in bed. I'm sick. I'm like literally in there and like, I'm shaking. Like I'm, I'm getting closer to God at this point. And Emerson's sitting at the bed like, and she says, Daniel, like, I want to pray for you. And she says, Jesus, uh, help Daniel get better. And yeah, I was like in there like crying. And they don't know that. This is the first time they've, they've heard that. But I was just so touched and moved by her prayer. And this is just a fruit from the discipleship of Mike and Missy. I mean, Emerson is becoming a young woman of prayer because you guys are people of prayer. Emerson is becoming a young woman of prayer because she's witnessed the healing power of prayer in our small group. When we gather together as a community and we lay hands on someone to pray, she gathers and she lays her hands on that person and she prays. Her response to me wasn't, do you need water? Do you need medicine? Do you want candy? But her instinct was to intercede for me because she has the spirit of God in her. And not this small, immature spirit of God in her, but she has the full power and presence of the living God in her, just like you and I. And if you want to be the godly man and woman that God wants you to be, then be a person of prayer. Apostle Paul says, Jamie's like, "Mm mm-hmm, let's go, amen, amen, sister. She's like, yeah, I can pray all day. Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. In other words, be in constant prayer all through your day. Your prayer life shouldn't end or start and end in the morning or before a meal or right before you sleep. But your life should be in constant communion with the Spirit. God, I'm about to enter work. Help me to love my boss. I'm not talking about Mike, by the way. (laughs) God, I'm about to enter a difficult conversation. Help me to be gracious and patient. God, I'm about to talk to my children. Help this be an opportunity of discipleship, not condemnation. God, as I go through my day, help me to love people well today. That's something that I pray for every single morning. God, I'm feeling anxious. Thank you for peace and joy today. God, I believe that you're alive. Thank you, Jesus. When we pray, we admit that we need the strength of God. When we pray, this puts, us a pla- this puts us in a place of humility and reliance. When we pray, this aligns our will with the Lord's will. And you won't mature in your faith if you aren't dedicating yourself to constant prayer. I admit, for me, prayer is difficult. Um, it's not my spiritual gift. But I want to spend time with Jesus. I want to be in his presence. And we have the gift, not obligation, of doing this all through our day. Verse 43 says this. The reason why I got so emotional about talking about Emerson, because I feel like she's like, I'm talking about like my own daughter. <laughs> uh, okay, verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs who were, were being done through the apostles. 
So because the church was being the church, people were getting saved, miracles were happening, forgiveness was constant, the word of God was transforming people, and prayer was powerful, Paul is saying that awe came upon every soul. When the body of Christ gathers together, it is a guaranteed encounter with the presence and power of God. When we sing, when we sing, about, we sing songs about God, it puts us in awe. When we take communion later, this should put us in awe. When we hear the word of God being preached, this should put us in awe. When we fellowship together, when we pray for one another, this should put us in awe. Is your heart in awe this morning? Jeremiah 2.13 says this. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, what the prophet Jeremiah is saying is that in each and every single one of our hearts, (coughs) there is something capturing the awe of your soul other than God. And what is that today? What are you putting your ultimate hope and security in? And for some of you, it's career. You're saying that if I just have this job, if I just make this income bracket, then I'll have meaning in life. For some of you, it's romance. Some of you, your spouse or significant other is the one that puts you in awe more than God. For some of you, it's academics. Your identity is in how good your grades are. I mean, for Asian people, if you want to give your parents a heart attack, bring home a B plus. You'll know, you'll know exactly what I mean. A minus might not even be good enough. For some of you, it's your children. Your identity is rooted in how good you are as a parent or how good your kids turn out. For others, your identity is in beauty. You feel like in the deepest part of your heart, if I, just, if I can't look a certain way, then you won't feel complete. And if this is you today, I want to remind you that no matter how much money you put in your bank account, no matter what career you have, no matter how beautiful you try to make yourself, or what material possessions you have, or what spouse you date or marry, or what grades you get, or how your kids will turn out, it'll never be enough. I mean, it might put your heart in awe for a moment, but it'll fade. And some of you guys already know that. The only thing that will satisfy your soul and put you in awe from now until eternity is Jesus Christ. Everything else will disappoint. Everything else will let you down. But Jesus is the only one who will devote himself to you, no matter what. And he's shown that on the cross. If something has captured your heart, Look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And when you start practicing the presence of worship, the grip of all these other idols will start to come loose. All right, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Uh, This illustration has nothing to do with Yejin. 
Um, last year, I ate at this barbecue joint and on Young Street. And I, we sat down with a group of people. And I noticed a group of people sitting next to us. And just hearing their conversations, um, they were being like really belligerent and rude and offensive to the waitress. And I could tell the waitress was getting flustered. I mean, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't paying back evil for evil. She was trying her best to actually um, serve them well, despite how rude they were being. So she goes downstairs, and I just felt the spirit say, like, I want you to encourage her. And I was like, what about my barbecue? <laughs> and so I paused for a second, say, okay, like, I'm going to take a step of faith. Like, she doesn't even know me. This could be awkward. I don't know. But who cares? So I go downstairs, and I could tell she's, like, talking with her friend, and she's, like, flustered, and she's upset. And I say, hey, like, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. You didn't deserve that. I understand how hard it is to be a server at a restaurant. And I used to work at Milestones uh, as a line cook, but I understand what servers go through. It's hard. It's difficult. And her face, like, literally went from, like, frustrated and, like, upset to, like, happy that I came down. I just acknowledged her. And I just, I could be the light of Jesus there. And so she was just, yeah, she was ecstatic. Uh, her mood totally changed. And she goes upstairs. And I was like, okay, you know what? You know, one of my life verses is, is in Galatians. It's, it's outdo one another and showing honor. So I said, I'm going to go a step, step further in this. And I go to her manager and I say, hey, like, do, do your uh, servers, do they take 100% of their tips? And, and he was like, yeah, they do. And so I just want to tip, you know, your server. She's done an amazing job. You know, some stuff happened upstairs, but I just want to bless her. And he's like, yeah, sure. And he was probably expecting whatever, X amount of money. And so I, I you know, put in my card. Uh, I give the tip. And he, like, looks at it, and he's like, is there, like, is, this, is there a mistake? Like, are you sure you want to give this? And I'm like, yeah, of course I want to give it. And he kept, like, asking me, like, are you sure? He's like, he says, I've literally never seen someone do this before. And... Um, I was like, yes, I, I do. I want to do this. I want to bless her. I understand what she's going through and how difficult it can be. And uh, his name's Mike. We end up talking for over an hour. He got his dad in the conversation. And just from that small experience, they got to experience Jesus and they got to experience generosity. And in this situation, I was generous with my time, my, my energy, uh, my parking meter ticket ran out. Thankfully, I didn't get a ticket. But why? It's not like I'll, I'm going to go back there. Their barbecue was okay. It was, it was, it was decent, but their, their jalapeno cornbread, I'd, I'd go back for that. I'd go back for that. Um, it, was, it was really good. But I was generous because God has been generous to me. And if I know and you know how God, or if I know and you know that God was so generous that even though we deserve death and hell, that he came to sacrifice his son on a cross, this should supernaturally create a heart of generosity. Anyone who experiences a gracious God will ex extend grace to others. Anyone who experiences a forgiving God will extend forgiveness to others. And anyone who experiences a radical, the radical generosity of, of God will extend generosity to others. Um, let's... Yeah, we'll move to verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Uh, Paul is saying in this passage that the people met regularly. 
They prayed together. They served one another. They blessed one another. They worshiped with one another. They had meals with one another. In other words, they were living this one another lifestyle. I mean, to make it more personal for our church, Trinity Life, this is our small groups, our church events, our camping retreat that's coming up, and our TLC at St. Jamestown summer events, which is happening all throughout every single week. And this is done to build up the community and the body of Christ. As a follower of Jesus, do you often feel lonely and isolated? Do you feel like you aren't growing in your faith and your gifts and passions aren't being used? Like, are you lacking joy this morning? Are some of you guys experiencing burnout? A community is where you'll find purpose. It's where you'll receive healing and joy. It's where you'll receive life. It's where you'll learn what your spiritual gifts are and use them for joy for the mission of Jesus. A meeting regularly for the early church was never an option. It was a gift and joy and privilege. But why has it become an option for us? And for myself, I would never be the Christian, the leader, the pastor, the follower of Jesus without practicing the presence of regular community. And you guys will never be the followers of Jesus that God wants you to be unless you guys do the same. All right, verse 40, uh, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so the people were meeting, regular for Sunday, uh, meeting regularly for Sunday worship, small groups, community outreach, and fellowship. And he says the church was praising God and having favor with all people. I'll talk about what that means, well, having favor with all people. I'll talk about what that means uh, in a few minutes. So what does Apostle Paul mean when he says the church is supposed to be praising God? It means that the church is supposed to recite back to God in joy, in gratitude, his character and who he is. We do this in our songs. We do this in our sermons. We do this in our prayers. Church is primarily about the worship and praise of a gracious and merciful God. And out of that, we get to benefit in joy and peace and healing. When God is Redeemer, God is faithful, God is forgiver, God is cornerstone, God is anchor, God is king, God is patient, God is kind, God is love, God is peace, God is comfort, God is joy, God is shield, God is protector, God is life, God is living, God is savior, God is salvation, and God is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And he's making all things new in this church, in our city, and in the world. Like brokenness gone, addiction healed, death defeated, sin conquered, darkness turned into light, relationships reconciled, and the enemy made powerless. Nothing will put the heart more in awe than when you practice 
in community and in fellowship, praising God for who he is. So later in the verse, what does it mean that Apostle Paul says the church had favor with people or with all people? When people would praise God, they were living out this radical life of peace and joy. And when the world would look into that, or unbelievers would see that happening, they would long for what the world can never offer them. And that's Jesus Christ. But to make it more personal, if you are a Christ follower and your life is filled with praise and joy, you will gain favor with those around you. And Paul says, because of the way that you are living, people might even get saved. People will be supernaturally drawn to your life and wonder what is different about this person. Nothing will preach Jesus louder than the way that you live and you love people. In your life, are you practicing the presence of joy or are you practicing the presence of anxiety and worry? Are you practicing the presence of reconciliation or are you practicing the presence of unforgiveness? Are you practicing the presence of daily spiritual disciplines so that you can be more like Jesus? Or are you practicing the presence of YouTube and social media and Netflix? Are you practicing the presence of being radically different from the world? Or are you practicing the presence of trying to be like the world? Let me close with this. And we will never be the community and fellowship of believers if we first don't start with our own heart worship and practicing the presence of seeing the beauty, character, and gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the Lion King, uh, at the very end, and it was so good. I mean, 10 out of 10. I don't care what Rotten Tomato says. It was like so real. Um, we were in 3D. I was like, oh, I touched it for real. Anyways. <laughs> Mufasa has Simba. It's early in the movie, and Mufasa uh, is, has Simba on top of Pride Rock, and it's beautiful, and, and Mufasa is like depositing a discipleship moment into Simba. And this is what happens here. Mufasa says, I'm not going to do the voice, <laughs> but you guys will probably hear it. Simba. <laughs> look, Sim- uh, look, Simba. Everything that light touches is your kingdom. Simba says, Wow. A king's time as ruler rises and falls like the sun. One day, Simba, the sun will set on my time here and will rise with you as new king. And Simba says, now this will be mine? This pause, I guess. Mufasa says, everything. And Simba says, well, what about those shadowy places over there? And Mufasa says, that's beyond our borders. You must never go there, Simba. Simba says, But I thought a king could take whatever he wants. Mufasa says, in his wisdom, a true king doesn't look for what he can take, but he looks for what he can give. And Jesus Christ comes to earth not to give, or not to take, but to give. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, your debt of sin paid for in full, past, present, future, No more guilt, no more shame, no more condemnation, because Jesus bore all of that on the cross. And at the end of The Lion King in the movie theater, it was like 90% adults in there. Everyone started to stand up and cheer and clap, because everybody loves the story of a king who goes through adversity, 
conquers evil, and triumphs into victory. And my prayer is that as you look at Jesus, the ultimate king, who went through the ultimate adversity on the cross, and then resurrected into victory, that we would, in gratitude, be the community that God created us for. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your spirit this morning. Um, You are here. You are in our presence. And that changes everything. And God, I pray that your word today, I thank you that it It's edifying, and that's made us more like Jesus today. So help us to be the community and help us to have fellowship in the way that you intended so that we can grow in holiness and faithfulness and be the church that your son Jesus Christ died for and to make blameless and beautiful and holy and spotless. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.